What's up, guys? This is Andrew Frezza, and welcome to the Care Coach Lead podcast. I have a guest today, Brandon Simpson from Swamp Rabbit CrossFit. Brandon has become a good friend of mine. We've uh, had several conversations over the last years through text and email, and Brandon was one of the gym owners that was a part of our recent Rockstar Coaching Intensive with his team. So we were getting on weekly calls uh, every single week for 12 weeks. So I really got to know Brandon well, his business well. And Brandon's someone that I certainly admire and, and respect and look up to in many ways in this industry in terms of the way he runs his gym, the type of person he is, the type of leader he is. And actually the original way that we connected was through the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Brandon was the first person to recommend it to me. I had never heard of it before. And that's something that I've mentioned before on this podcast. So uh, welcome to the show, Brandon. Hey, thanks so much. That was uh, probably the, the longest string of nice things that anyone has ever said about it. <laughs> well, it's coming to an end. It's about to get real on this podcast. Awesome. Um, but yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about your journey, Brandon, just so we have a little more background of how you got into fitness and how you got into running Swamp Rabbit. Yeah, great. So fitness has just always been an interest. Um, I think even when I was a kid playing middle and high school sports, the weight room was more interesting than the sport was for me. So I was, you know, a mediocre high school basketball player, wasn't going to go pro, anything like that. Um, so, so working out was always a lot of fun because I had some aptitude for it and I was stronger than a lot of basketball players, you know, big whoop, but it was, uh, it was cool then and kind of affirming. So I guess I'm going on 23, four or five years of continuous working out at this point. Um, so that, that was kind of the spark. I got interested, started working out as a kid alongside playing sports, um, got out of college and uh, had like the longest layoff from fitness that I ever had, which was about six months. And I felt like I was getting kind of puffy and lazy and, and I needed to do something about it. And that's actually when I found CrossFit and started doing it on my own, kind of three days on, one day off, uh, zone diet, like the whole nine. I was, I was all in. I read everything I could. I found everything I could. And uh, it just made sense to me in a way that what, what, what I found in muscle magazines and such didn't make sense to me and um, got certified in 09 and started coaching kind of part-time here and there doing different things and um, had my own fitness business doing uh, youth strength and conditioning for sport prep stuff and eventually came to work at Swamp Rabbit CrossFit to start the onboarding program. So like every CrossFit gym, the first group that comes through is the onboarding program. Nobody knows anything. So you got to teach everybody the method. And then once you've got your first veteran crop, people coming in new can be kind of disruptive. Everybody who's coached knows, you know, you get the newbie and you're snatching today. It can be a challenge if you don't know how to handle that. And so I came in my first day, the gym had sold a group on, don't do that. <laughs> And it was for uh, the, the foundations class, which was like three classes. We're going to do the nine foundational movements, like way back kind of at the beginning of this. And I had a room with 50 people with PVC pipes that I taught to uh, do all the squat variations. My, my claim to fame in that was that I knew the whole room by name by the end of the hour. And so that, that earned some repeat business. People came back because they were impressed by that, I think, more than they were by my instruction on the squat. And uh, as we've gone, kind of 
showed an interest in the business side of things and, um, you know, took the helm as it were, uh, right as the pandemic started. So right as the shutdowns were happening and everything locked down, uh, is when I kind of took over. And then it, uh, once we got through those stormy seas, it's been pretty awesome, uh, on the backside of that. Nice. So, yeah. So what is your role? Cause I, the way we talk, I always think that you're the owner of the gym and, and I always forget that you're right. more general manager. So what is your role yeah. at the gym and how do you think about it? So I, I function as if I were an owner for the most part. Our ownership are, uh, one, one is in, in politics and unable to interact with the business because of that. And then one is a serial entrepreneur who um, fitness businesses are, are an interest, but also kind of real estate plays and such. So uh, they, they leave me to operate the gym pretty much as I see fit. As long as it's doing well, they're happy, you know, if they're seeing a return. So uh, it is kind of a weird spot because I have a lot of freedom to make decisions, hire, fire, make plans, set trajectory, spend money, do all the things that an owner would do. Um, as long as things are going well, then we're we're free to roam the cabin, as it were. So yeah, I was yeah. telling you before the show that I always confuse you and my friend Carl Penny from El Cid Fitness in West Palm because you guys have the same roles. Where I think of you guys as owners of your gym. But both of you are in this position where you're more general managers. But I've never seen anything about the way you guys carry yourself or make decisions that would say you were not an owner of the gym. So hopefully you guys will at some some point have ownership in your respective gyms. Um, and then you also pastor your church as well, right? That's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of one of four pastors at a church in Greenville called Christ Fellowship Cherry Hill. Nice. Cool. So um, and then you're a dad. In addition to that, three, three kids. kids. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the leadership side of things and and how you think about being a leader or, you know, you were the one that brought the conscious leadership side to the table, this book. Um, how do you think about leadership and what's been, been useful for you? Yeah, so to me, a leader's job is to kind of look out on the horizon, kind of scan what's what's coming down the pipe and look at the people that you've surrounded yourself with, the situation that you're in and say how can I how can I match up these people with that future that we want to go to. And so uh I I really don't like if I can avoid it at any cost almost just dropping people off by the wayside, you know, I, the the idea of you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time around and and things like this. I would I would rather invest a lot of energy and time into people to bring them up to where we want to go in a lot of cases than I would just say, hey, you know what, you're a bad fit, let's move on. So sometimes that may be uh, to a fault. But um, when, I, when I look out at the future, uh, some of the things that we're doing right now in, in different situations that I'm in is going, man, what, what would be the low-hanging fruit for you to really level up as a person, as a coach, as a salesperson, as whatever it is? Um, you may be phenomenal at nutrition, but it's hard for you to get people into the program. Great. We're going to give you some reps selling on the front end of the business so that you can learn that skill. And even if you leave us, it's going to level you up for whatever happens next. And that's really what I aim to do is make everybody around me as awesome as they can be. Where did that mentality come from of, you know, the way I see it is you have maybe a, a player on the team that's, 
that seems like a weak player, maybe a detriment to the team. And instead of wanting to fire that person, your natural inclination, or maybe it isn't a natural inclination, but your your response to that is, you know what, let's see if we can do everything within our power to bring this person up. Yeah. Well, I, the way I see it is, let's say you and me are on the team, and so are Sarah, Joe, and Bob. Well, if, if we force rank Sarah, Joe, and Bob, and Sarah's phenomenal, Joe's pretty good, Bob is, is kind of the weak link right now. Let's fire Bob. Well, now Joe's the weak link. So, so you, you can never get rid of the weak link in a, in a group. So to me, that idea of the chain is only as strong as its weakest link means I need to reinforce the links that are in the chain. So if I've got somebody who fits us culturally, who is aligned with what we're trying to do, but they're not, their skill set may not be there, they uh, feel uncomfortable stepping into coaching conversations or stopping somebody in a workout to make sure that they're being safe or whatever it is, I would rather say, I think those things are trainable skills. I think leadership is a trainable skill. And let's work on the skill if you fit. Now, if you're totally misaligned and you hate everything we do, you don't believe anything we stand for, you've kind of self-selected yourself out. You're not going to stick around and, and be invested in. Um, but as long as we have alignment, I would rather bring you up than say, all right, you're out. And then the next person is now the weak link and we're all going to get frustrated with them until we have to let them go. And then the next person, and eventually I'm going to be the weakest link. <laughs> You already are the weakest link. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Goodbye. Right, just sign off. Right. Yeah, now. that's that's a great way to think about it. How much of it is, you know, working on the team to help bring those people up, as opposed to seeing it as a weak link? Because, yeah, I think what you're getting at is that if we're always just looking at what the biggest problem is or who the biggest problem is on the team you're always going to find someone. You're always going to have someone. It's impossible for everyone to be even at every given moment at every given task. So how much of that is team focus versus you just changing your own mindset? That's a good question. So I, I think team mindset follows my mindset. So what I think and talk about and communicate and say, read these books and do these studies and let's talk about this at the team meeting. And this is what I put on social media and what I communicate kind of drives the way that we all think about what's going on. And so in, in much the same way that a coach who watches 10,000 squats, they may not be able to tell you why they can see what they can see, but they see more than the new coach who hasn't watched 10,000 squats. And they know the spider sense is tingling. Something is off here. I need to investigate more closely. I think the same thing happens the longer you're engaged with teams and in leadership with teams. And I've been leading teams for a long time. You, you start to get the spider sense that the tingle happening, like something here is not jiving correctly. And typically the best approach is to go to that person and say, Hey, I've noticed something and uh, kind of using the active life questions. You know, you're like, I've noticed this. Is that true? And it gives them an opportunity to kind of tell you, yeah, your, your observation is spot on. Let's talk about how we can address it or if we even want to address it. Uh, and then if not, then I get to learn and I'm going to find out, oh, no, that's not, a, not how I felt or not where I'm struggling. Or sometimes they get to learn and it's, uh, no, that is where you're struggling. And let's talk about how we can, we can bring that up to the next level. So I, I think that, that I'm kind of the hub in these things and that 
the wheel keeps turning as long as the hub is holding it together. And so I'm looking for ways to put more spokes in the wheel, as it were, and make those connections with people and have a personal connection, know who their kids are, know what they care about, see them in the gym, take their class, do all the things that keep us connected so that I can maintain influence to bring them up when we have the sticky situations that, that cost me leadership capital. Yeah. Was there a moment that you got kind of thrust into wanting to learn about leadership or has that interest always been there? Have you kind of natural, naturally been a leader in terms of, you know, playing basketball growing up and things like that? I, I think that it is uh, a both and. So for whatever reason, people have generally looked to me for leadership uh, from high school group projects on, on up. Uh, it might be because I'm six and a half feet tall and I just strike an imposing figure in a room. And so people look to the, the big person. It's the beard. Um, but I think there's some combination of, of how I carry myself and um, then I just have, I, I have terminal curiosity. Like that's going to be the thing that kills me is, is trying to figure something out. And so leadership is one of the most interesting places where there are problems that are important to solve that uh, you can't just get it right every time and, and walk into a leadership situation and you always say the right thing in the right way at the right time. And it's the most costly um, problems to, to miss on, I think. So the stakes are high, uh, so there's a little bit of pressure there, and then I'm very interested, and it's a challenging game to, to really lead and help and get individuals to be the best they can be. And so the combination of kind of, I think, natural interest and natural maybe gifts and leadership, but uh, on top of that, a whole lot of time spent reading and practicing and reflecting on leadership situations gone wrong and, uh, and trying, to, trying to learn from others on that as yeah. well. We, I want to talk about conscious leadership a little bit. Is that, is that kind of the, your Bible of leadership or do you have a resource outside of that, that you find yourself reflecting back on the most? Yeah, I, I really like if there was like a, a trifecta of business books, um, I would add a couple of ones around it, but I would say conscious leadership is the operating system that we use interpersonally in in the business and in, in other relationships uh, then the advantage by patrick lencioni which is basically about getting clarity so can we all be really clear on what we're trying to do and if we're all clear on what we're trying to do and we're all aligned we're going to go a lot further than anybody else who is trying to do the same thing that we're doing and then traction for just basic systems and understanding that you might not use everything that they do in the eos stuff but that trifecta I think is really a great platform to leap off from mixing those three things together to operate a business. And then I'm, I've been a big fan of, of Jocko Willink's stuff as well. So extreme ownership and conscious leadership have a, a lot of overlap if you look at themes and not language. Um, and so, so I like that to kind of hold uh, those two things together. Nice. So what are your, what are some of the biggest, frameworks or takeaways from conscious leadership what are the things that you find yourself you know without having to go back to the book like they just oh, come yeah. up the most for you that are the most tangible and useful for you on a day-to-day -day basis if you bought the 15 commitments and you read the first five chapters i think you got 95 percent of what you need from that book 
Um, if you add chapter eight, the zone of genius, I think that once you have the free time to look into that, that's worthwhile. But the first five commitments are uh, taking responsibility. So 100% of your responsibility and encouraging other people to take 100% of their responsibility. Uh, that, that overlaps well with the theme of extreme ownership. So it says, if there's anything going great in my life, I, I have to, I've done something to make that happen. If there's anything going poorly, I have responsibility in that. I may not have all the responsibility for that problem, but I have responsibility for that problem. Um, then curiosity. And uh, that has changed how I speak about a lot of things. Commitment to with curiosity and saying, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if this would be the best solution going forward instead of positing this is the best solution going forward. And that allows the team to interact and be a part of and, and form an idea that I put out there so that it's theirs too. Um, I think that uh, the one that usually comes across surprising to people that I'm, I'm big on is the emotions chapter and, and getting in touch with your basic emotional states and kind of knowing what you're feeling and what that might be telling you about what's going on around you. Uh, so if you're feeling fear that, uh, and fear is kind of the primary color, you might be worried, you might say you're anxious, you might say um, you're on edge. At root, you're feeling fear and that's cueing you in that there's something that I need to pay attention to in this situation. There might be something dangerous that I'm not uh, fully aware of yet or if I'm feeling joyful or if I'm feeling angry. Uh, then the, those, those emotional states um, drive a lot of the way that people interact unconsciously. And so when I become conscious of, oh, when I feel angry, it feels like this in my body, and I'm likely to behave in this way and receive things in this way, that helps me then when I feel angry with uh, a teammate, which is rare. That's not one of my primary emotions. But if I felt angry with somebody that cues me in really quickly. I need to take a breath and pay attention and let this emotion kind of get through me so that I can re-engage as a conscious leader. Um, speaking candidly. Oh, well, ahead. I was just going to ask in that regard, um, what are your favorite tools to get that energy to kind of move through you? Do you yeah. do any breath work? Is it just exercise? What do you do for that? Yeah, I, I really like the model that they put in the book where you, you say – we're uh, above or below the line at all times. So the line is kind of a, I'm above the line, I'm conscious, I'm open, I'm interested, I'm curious, I'm committed to learning. Below the line, I'm closed, I'm defensive, I'm committed to being right. And I'm, I'm just always moving around the line. So in some situations, I'm above the line, some situations below the line. So I could be cruising above the line for a second, an hour, a day, whatever it is, something happens, boom, takes me below the line. First skill, is to become aware that I'm below the line. One of the cool things in a team that's familiar with conscious leadership is that they have the freedom to give me feedback and say, it seems like you're committed to being right on this, or it seems like you're really frustrated right now. And it's my job to receive that feedback and go, thank you. Like that's helpful. I'm maybe not conscious of where I am. So now to get back above the line, I think very simply, um, three deep breaths, find your feet, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ground myself, which sounds a lot more woo-woo than it is. It's really just being present in the space and not caught up in all of the drama that you're, you're generating in your head. Find your feet or your whatever. I'll get up and go move if I need to. Um, take a few deep breaths and um, kind of re-engage from there. Because I'm not always in a situation where I can excuse myself. I'm going to go do 20 minutes of breathing meditation. I'm going to take a walk. I'm gonna, it's, I need to continue this interaction 
but I need three seconds to kind of reel it in, become aware. And maybe I ask for a reprieve because I just became aware I'm not handling this the way that I want to. Uh, and, and people are respectful when you're respectful in situations like that. How did you take this from, hey, I found this really cool book that I'm sure you read first to, hey, now my team is actually starting to use the language to give me feedback, to check in with themselves, to operate better as a leader within themselves? Yeah, I had, uh, when I introduced the book, I mean, we've been through it maybe three times now with, with different iterations of our team. I don't know how many times I've read the book because I've taught it to a lot of groups as well. Um, and my wife actually turned it on to me. So we have that language at home that we can say uh, that the conscious leadership kind of stuff. And then um, bringing it into the team, I had a core teammate who uh, through a lot of yoga training, she was a yoga instructor and had done 200 and 300 hour certifications and such, had spent a lot of time thinking about doing the work, as they like to say it, kind of dealing with your own uh, junk. And this, that model, the 15 commitments kind of fit well with doing the work. And then I find people who want to coach tend to be interested in self-improvement and they want to grow as well. And they've, they've had some success, whether it's with CrossFit or some other methodology that really felt like it leveled them up. And so they're a little more open to those sorts of things, I think, than people outside of the, the fitness space. Um, and then I just talk like that. And so it's the language that I use. I wonder, I'm curious about, I'm feeling and not telling people what's right or wrong about a lot of things, but rather kind of exploring it and asking them to find the answer that we're looking for rather than telling the answer that we're looking for. And so it's been kind of a combination of it kind of infected me and it's how I interact and talk about situations. Um, it is really practical and useful. So people tend to latch on to things that they can grab right away and it makes sense to them. And then um, just kind of forced adoption by using the language all the time as the, the way that we interact. Nice. Is there anything about the 15 commitments or the conscious leadership operating system that you disagree with or still struggle to implement, maybe just doesn't really fully align with you yet. Yeah. So I, I think that for most people who pick it up, the, uh, the first two chapters um, are, are the core part of what's going on. In the first chapter, I think there's kind of the uh, to me, by me, through me, as me mm -hmm. kind of continuum of different states. I think that, that there's some of that that gets to be a little too woo-woo, uh, spiritual kind of space for like a practical business conversation for a lot of people. Thankfully, we're in a space where we have a lot of openness and can discuss things like that with our team. But the uh, just the shift from to me, I'm a victim, everything happens to me, to by me, everything happens and I'm a part of that process. I'm an agent that, that can make things happen. That's far enough for everything that I need to have happen. I don't need you to get to more kind of in line with the universe spaces of as me and through me. Um, so some of the some of the the way that they describe the states that we're looking for or the ways that we engage can be a little bit too new agey for some folks, uh, myself included, where I'm I'm more interested in the can I just get from my gym is growing or or failing because of outside influences my team is getting along and doing a great job because 
the weather's good. And when there's a full moon, they start to backbite and steal clients and talk trash about each other and gossip to I'm the one who's in charge of all of those things. And so I have agency and there's something I can actually do when I take responsibility for that stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So another thing that you mentioned that I think we share a lot of belief about is this idea of trainable skills and what skills that a lot of people, I think, assume or believe are untrainable, um, different soft skills, more emotional skills in coaching, as well as what you said with leadership being what you believe is a trainable skill. Can you elaborate on on that and your experiences with that of what some people might deem as untrainable skills that you believe are trainable skills sure so uh empathy i think is a trainable skill so that you you engage with another person as another person and they're not uh they're not meat for you to to like go out and win a contest and you bring meat home or they're not obstacles that you have to get through or get past to deal with things, but they're like real people who have real life situations and they're, they're bringing their life to whatever they're doing with you. Um, I, I think that the things like empathy and leadership and problem solving and um, just caring about things are, uh, are trainable, but they're hard to train and they require a lot of attention and energy and they require you to be vulnerable as the leader who is trying to train those things, because um, when you when you speak into someone's life about something that feels like a bedrock core thing of who they think they are, like that's a that's a risky conversation both ways. So you could be the one receiving that feedback, and and it feels risky because it's challenging who you are. Um, we we actually made T-shirts that uh, have been pretty popular. That the price for your new life is your old one. And so something in you has to die for you to grow into whatever it is that you want to be. It could be some part of your personality, the part of you that goes, hey, you know what? I am kind of cold and standoffish, and I prefer it that way because too many people in a space, it's just overwhelming and it wears me out. Okay, well, that part of you that feels like it has to shelter and protect to deal with groups has to die so that a new part of you that's able to kind of blossom into that space a little bit um, is, is able to, to do that. So, uh, being willing to step into those kinds of conversations to, to push on people in ways that might make them uncomfortable is the path to growth. So if it's empathy and you go, man, it really seemed like the interaction you had with that athlete, they were an obstacle to you. They, that was not somebody you were partnering with to help them grow. That was somebody who you were kind of in a fight with. Um, or they struggle with something. I had a coach come into the office um, earlier this week after an interaction that went went poorly with somebody in the gym, and now they know that that's a safe place. They should come to me and not go gossip and deal with that. And and so the pushback is, what did you bring to that situation? How did you set up this thing that uh, created this negative interaction that you wish had not happened, that you're concerned for the, the fallout, and then how are you going to engage? And training... It's not me versus that person. Let's have some empathy. Why did they respond the way that they did? What tools do I have to address this situation right away? And, uh, you know, how do I go have the uncomfortable conversation with that person that we've had some conflict now instead of letting it fester? So I, I think all of those things are trainable, but it requires me to be attentive 
and notice what's going on with people and then willing to be vulnerable to step into kind of core personality stuff with them that a lot of people go, ah, that person's just a jerk. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I love that the price of, of your new life is your old one. I think I'm going to steal that if you're, you'll allow us to steal that for some shirts. Um, but it's amazing how often oh, we, my original idea. We, fight, oh, yeah. we fight for our bad habits because we're so afraid to change or we're so used to them that we almost in a way defend them and like push any new habits from coming in because we want to, you know, maybe stay in line with how we identify with ourselves or it's just like, you know, we're, we go to explain something, things that may work or not work for us. Um, but in explaining that to someone else or communicating it to someone else, we're actually, the way the language we use is just reinforcing that that is who we are and we're not willing to change. I want to, I wanted to also, yeah, yeah, that, go ahead. The, the, yeah, so the, the dying language is real like that. You, it feels like when your ego is tied up in something, your personality is tied up in something that if you let it go, you will die. That's why people will fight so hard to hold on to those things. And uh, learning to let those things go is actually a skill too. And being able to go, okay, I'm feeling resistance here. Why? What's going on with that? Why do I feel like I need to hold on to this thing so tightly? And I think there should be things that you hold on to to the, de to the death that you say, no matter what, I'm not going to move away from this core belief of, of who I am or what's, what's most valuable, what are ultimate things. But that's not a lot of things. And it definitely shouldn't be everything. And so being, a, being able to shed those things and, and kind of like, a, a, like a, a hermit crab, you know, as a, a good beachy reference, once I outgrow my shell, either I get stuck in that shell and die or I have to let go of that shell and move into the next space and, and kind of continue to fill out into who I could be if I am willing to let those parts of me go. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, to touch on with trainable skills that you brought up is I think a lot of people see these, these quote, untrainable skills as a, a pass fail or a yes, no, you either have empathy or you don't, you either care or you don't, you either love someone or you don't, where it's really much more of a spectrum where it's like zero to a hundred and okay, in empathy right now, I'm a seven out of a hundred, like I'm not great. But can we move, can we turn the dial up through training and through your buy-in? Because you have to be, you have to want to be more empathetic and want to improve in that area. Can we get you up to a 60 out of a hundred instead of a seven out of a hundred? And I think that that's, that to me, 100%, yes, we can. And also realizing that like very rarely is someone a zero out of a hundred, very more often than not, that person has some empathy. They care a little bit. They, you know, you, you, uh, you know, your wife, when you first met her, you, you had an attraction to her. You started to feel these feelings of love. But if you don't show the actions of love, if you don't show the actions of empathy, if you don't show the actions of caring, then that will not, those seeds will not grow. And some people just don't, they don't fully know. Everyone doesn't. I mean, we're never taught these things. We're just expected to intuitively know them. So we're expected to know what the actions of caring look like. We might care a lot, but if we don't really 
have the actions of caring, the habits of caring embedded into our day-to-day life, then the people around us might not feel like we care. So I see it a lot as just, yeah, there, there's, you have to have that general motivation and desire to want to be this caring or empathetic or whatever the skill is, leader type of person. But you also need training and these things require training to do it at a very high level. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the like one life skill that you could take away from that conversation is to learn to ask questions that make you vulnerable that are really simple questions. So if if you and I were, were going to be working in the same gym together for a long time, and I noticed that one day Andrew comes in, he's, he's feeling great, he's chipper, all things are good. Another day he comes in, it's like, yeah, you don't really seem like yourself. Well, I might find something that's caring would be, hey, can I coach your classes today? Give you a little break. You might go, man, this was my escape today. Like, I, I want to coach class because that's going to be the three hours that I'm not thinking about whatever this other thing is. And so the, the super skill there is to say, what can I do that would support you? Is there anything that I can do that would show uh, care and concern? Because I feel that for you right now. What, what would be the thing that would help you feel supported, cared for, loved, whatever the language is that's appropriate for that relationship? And just ask the other person, hey, how can, how can I help you? And in the same way that you're, you're coaching and working with athletes, that's really the goal. It's not what can I sell you so that I can make money. Everybody can smell that intent. But if you say, hey, how can I help you today? What, what's going on? I noticed this. I noticed that. You seem frustrated. How can I help you? And that's the, that's the real entry into empathetic sales, into empathetic relationships, because I actually want to care for you in a way that you feel cared for. Yeah, it reminds me of something that I've heard uh, Sean Pastuch from Active Life say often, which is don't treat people the way you want to be treated, treat them the way they want to be treated. And in order, yeah, in order to find that out, in order to know that, you have to actually go through a process of exploring that and finding it out, not just assuming. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about the Rockstar Coaching course a little bit. I think what we've been talking about leads really nicely into that and you being a part of the intensive. And I know that you, much like the conscious leadership side of things, um, using that language in your day-to-day interactions with your team are using a lot of the language of the Rockstar Coaching uh, frameworks and course on a day-to-day basis. So what are some of those frameworks that you found most useful for communicating and helping to develop your team. Yeah, I love that. So I I believe, I don't think this is an original thought to me, but language sets culture. So the words you use will determine how you think and feel about the things that you're discussing. And so in the conscious leadership space, I can say, we're going to commit to taking responsibility. We're going to commit to curiosity. And those things mean something because we've imbued them with meaning. We, We have explained what we mean. And so when, when you put together the pyramid of, of a coach and say, here's what cheerleader means, it's not the industry derogative term that's like, oh, that's just somebody who stands by the, by the board and claps and says, go, go, go. No, there, there's a lot of connecting with people and connecting people with people and building relationships and doing the things that allows you to maintain influence so you can go up the pyramid and, and connect in new ways. Um, that's really a key thing. So the idea of being a cheerleader, being a director, being a technician, being a programmer, being a coach, and being able to move fluidly through all of those spots has been a, a really useful 
level up because you could go into a class and watch an app or watch a coach coach a class and you could say man it just seemed like uh you maybe did a little too much encouraging and not enough coaching but well, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to change that. Do I encourage people less? Is that what you wanted me to do? Do I, what does it mean to coach more? How do I, so when I have a language for that, I have a system for that and I say, it seemed like you spent a little more time cheerleading or in the cheerleader role than you should have. And we needed two steps up in technician today to go fix a people, somebody's squat. And I, I just noticed a lot of things that went uncued so a little more technician, a little less cheerleader, or if you can do both at the same time, great. That means we're leveling up. I'm becoming a coach and I can cheerlead while I fix something. Great. That's a good skill to develop. But having language for the problem lets us really get to the problem in a way that we're communicating and not talking past one another. Yeah, I, I agree so much. And that's one of the reasons why I created the course was because I found so many times in my life and I'm still experiencing this, but in new ways, in new areas of my life of, it's like, I know, I kind of know what the problem is. I can feel something's off. I, I know there's something to be improved, but until there's a true language to create clarity around it, it's, it's hard to know what that next step is. And it's hard to know what really needs to be improved and how, and it's amazing how just a little bit, a framework here and there a tool here and there can just like open that problem and get you to the next level. Yeah, fully agree. Um, when you, when you work with your other coaches, what are some of the things from that 12 week intensive that we did that you found yourself diving into the most or continuing to implement now that the 12 weeks is over that you guys keep going back to, in your communication? Yeah, I think that the core is the core, the core language of how we describe uh, what's going on in a class. Um, I, I find, you know, I, I think we talked about kind of the, the cutoff. If you have a class where, where somebody's a great cheerleader and a great director, that group can have a good time. They're going to want to come back tomorrow and you're going to be able to keep influence with those people through time where if you have a class where somebody's a phenomenal technician but they're kind of cold and distant and nobody really cares like unless you're the technician on something you can't be a guru like you you have to be warm and engaging you have to have people clear on what they want to do and where they need to be and what you expect of them and so for us it's it's being able to say hey you needed to do a little more director in this class and make sure that things were uh on, in line in uh, and in the director role specifically, I think that because of the intensive, we've played a lot more with staging. And so having a room set up, just like if you want to sell your house, people are hiring stagers to come in and put things where they go, hey, I know people are going to come in and it's going to be aesthetically pleasing. They can imagine themselves living here. Same thing. Come in. If you always put the rowers out or you never put the rowers out. Hey, we got to work out today. It's rowing. Everybody go get your rower. Bring it over. The room is haphazard. It feels chaotic. Uh, I tend to be more conscious of that just in life in general. I don't like messy spaces. And so I, I feel distracted. Man, I'm having to step over machines. and what. So staging the room, it says, we were ready for you. We're happy that you're here. No distractions. 
because distractions are the worst. You can do everything right and then have something, somebody trips over a rower, bumps their shin, worst day. <laughs> no way that that was your best hour. This was the worst. CrossFit's dangerous. I'm never coming back. You know, obviously catastrophizing, but that's kind of the way things go. So the staging piece has been something that we've really tried to level up on as a result of talking about that in the director. Nice. So I want to ask you, we'll, we'll wrap up here soon. I want to ask you about um, building a network. And the reason I want to bring this up is I know you at one point you had a podcast and yeah. I know there's skills you had to have in building your network. But one of the things that stuck out to me was how you reached out to me and how you kept our relationship kind of going over the years without um, really being needy about it or um, without sure. being, hey, like, can you be my mentor or anything like that? And not to say that that's our relationship necessarily, but I know we've gotten on a lot of calls where we've gotten mutual value out of it. You know, I've learned from you, you've learned yeah. from me. And I think it really started with, hey, I'm a fan of the podcast. Um, I think you're going to really love this book, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And it was like a quick, you know, Instagram or email that we got. So how do you think about building the network or getting help when you need it, reaching out to people that maybe, you know, maybe others would be scared to reach out to? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think it's something that took time to develop. So one would be, I've, I've gotten to a place in life where people want my time for nothing. So they say, Hey, could you spend time mentoring me doing this thing, you know, caring for me, whatever it is. And, um, in my role as a pastor, yes, you're, you're a part of our church. Like I want to give, I want to pay attention, but I also know that I can't always do that. And I also know that people who are asking a lot often don't understand what they're asking for and they don't know what would actually make them feel cared for. So it, it will always be more than they thought, and it will be more than you have the ability to give. Because I've also got three kids, I run a gym, I do all these other things. And so uh, my attention is already spread thin. So if I'm looking to foster a relationship with somebody, I'm in a unique position now that if I'm a 20-year-old coach and not a almost 40-year-old coach, that I have perspective that they don't have just because I've been in the industry for a long time. And so I know if I reach out to somebody, they don't always just have all the time in the world to do something for me. So what I've found, uh, I think that I got this tip from Farmer John's Almanac or like Ben Franklin's autobiography. I think it was Ben Franklin's autobiography. If you can get somebody to do a little uh, favor for you when you first move into the neighborhood, they're much more likely to engage later. So this wasn't exactly how we did it. Uh, but same goes backwards where if I can just, hey, here's a little give. Thanks for what you're doing. I, I, because honestly, um, when you're making content and you're not the 1% biggest uh, producers in the world, knowing that people are consuming your content and appreciate the effort that you're putting into it is fulfilling. It's gratifying. I, I feel the same way. If somebody says, man, I saw that video you posted, that really helped me. It's, oh man, good. One person, that was worth it. Um, and so I know, and I do this as a habit now, if I see somebody who has a really great Instagram feed as a gym, and I'm just scrolling through, hey, I'll, I'll DM them. Your social media is fantastic. I know a lot of people don't high five you when you do just the stuff that's expected, but good job, keep it up. And just being nice to people makes them wanna help you. Uh, I, I started jujitsu um, a year and a half ago, two years ago, a year and a half ago. 
And I found as a, a grown up who doesn't care about asking questions and looking stupid, that's also part of it, don't care about looking stupid, is if you ask a question, you go, hey, I don't know anything. I would appreciate if you help me. I really appreciate you helping me. And I say thank you a lot and appreciate, and I do appreciate it. People can smell intent. Um, then it's easier to make connections with people who otherwise might not give you the time of day. In our case, it felt like the 15 commitments would resonate because of the way that you talked about Jim and leadership and personal growth and things that you were trying to figure out. I had found some benefit from this. So I said, Hey, Andrew, check this out. You, you might enjoy this book. If you don't no no hard feelings, whatever, but I appreciate your podcast. Here you go. And, um, you know, sometimes that results in a relationship and sometimes it's just a one-off email and it took me a minute to reach out. And if I get rejected, in that email, no problem. I was giving with nothing expected in return. Like I didn't, I didn't need anything in that. And it's been great. I'm, I'm really grateful for the relationship that's come as a result of that. So I think you just throw them out there, say, thank you, say good job, say, I noticed you and everybody appreciates that, especially when there's no ask attached. So first email, don't ask for anything. If you're reaching out to somebody and you're not sure, uh, I really appreciate your content. I think you're doing a great job. I found this to be helpful. You might too. Done. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's the simple give first. Don't ask first. Yeah. You're spot on. And, and uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say, I'm, you know, not in the 1% of top content uh, people out there. And I do. Exactly. Exactly. So I do appreciate every message and, and I appreciate the conversations because ultimately I think through our conversations, I've been able to help you more and people like you more because I get a better feel for what what are the things you're really struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis and what are the things that I could potentially help you out with. I want to ask one last thing, and it, it was kind of just an offhand thing you said, but you said people will come up to you for, you know, you know, your time and your mentorship. And you said people don't don't really know what they're asking for. Can you elaborate on that and what, like maybe an example of yeah. that? Yeah, I think on, I think on both sides. Okay. So, um, I'll do a little bit of like armchair psychology here too. So in my experience, when somebody comes and says, Hey, Andrew, would you mentor me? They don't know what that means. They just know they, they saw somebody had a mentor. The, the idea of a mentor was great, but you've got two little ones. Yep. Is that right? You're operating a business, you have a wife, you have a brother who you love and his family's nearby and fam like you have a lot of obligations on your time. And so if for somebody to say, hey, could you mentor me? What they think is, let's get breakfast once a week. It'll be great. I've got lots of free time. Surely you have lots of free time. And because people who are asking for that are usually, you know, in their 20s and they're working a first job and they're thinking, man, you're, you're kind of somewhere I want to go. What, what did you do? How did you get there? I did what you're doing for a long time. And, and now here I am. Like I, I kept my eyes open. I stayed engaged when it was hard and I wasn't making any money. And now I've, I've come to a place where, where things are settled. So they don't realize what they're asking because they don't realize that you are already pulled and we have public jobs. So I'm an introvert. I'm a hard introvert. I think I've heard you say recently that you, you lean that way a little bit more. And so it's like, yeah, just let me come like, uh, you know, in the church space, especially, it's like, well, let's look at all of life. So like, just come over while we're doing whatever we're doing at the house. And you can just be a part of that and see kind of how my family operates. Well, at some point, 
I need some space. I got to breathe. Like I can't only have space when I'm asleep or I will go crazy and I won't be good to anybody. So yeah, they don't know what they're asking. Then on the flip side of that, you go, okay, yes, I'll make some time for you. Let's get together. And like, you, you don't even know what you don't know. So you don't know, you don't have any clear questions that you're trying to get answered when you're asking for mentorship. It's like, uh, how do I be you? Well, it took me 37, almost 38 years to get here. So I, I don't have time to unpack all of that for you in a way that you're going to be able to act it out. Oh, and by the way, I got my own so, shit that I'm dealing with too. Like, and yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, you are in the, the outside space where, where things seem to be going pretty well. And I'm like, dude, I feel like 90% of it's wrong and 10% of it's right. And you're looking at it and you're seeing 90% of it's right. And 10% of it, you might be kind of trying to learn and grow through something. So, so when you're, when you're asking for help like that, you need to be able to ask for help. It can't just be help. I don't, I don't know because nobody can help you. You, you haven't defined the problem. You haven't made it clear what you're trying to learn. And so that's another network building thing. If I say, man, Andrew, it seems like you really have this teaching coaches thing uh, really unlocked. Like that's a thing that you've really invested a lot of time and energy in. You feel really competent. How do I help my coaches do X? Great question. Let me tell you about it. I've had this problem before. If I say, how do I run a better gym? You go, a lot of things. I don't know what's wrong now. And now I have to spend three hours finding out what's wrong so that I can give you 30 minutes of what to do. So that I think when people ask for mentorship, they, they're not clear on what they're asking from you. And they're not clear on what they're trying to ask you for. And, and those are, those are two things that make it kind of fruitless. So back to the network idea, give a little bit, if it resonates, have a conversation and, and you can kind of find out. And then that person may be actually interested in that. And it doesn't feel like a transactional relationship. Now it feels like a relationship where we also mutually learn from each other. So, um, that's, that's more fun to me. So most people who want to mentor, read a lot of books and watch a lot of videos first so that you have a clear question to ask a real human. So you don't waste their time and then, uh, be very grateful and thankful and, and express that in a way Hey, what would, what would let you know that I really appreciate what you did? I mean, I don't think that's a crazy thing to ask if somebody really does something that helps you out. Awesome. I'm glad I asked that because that was a great answer. So we'll wrap up on that, Brandon. I really appreciate the time. Really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, yeah, um, anywhere that you'd like for people to be able to get a hold of you, reach out if they have questions um, or see what you guys are doing with the gym. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm always interested in kind of the personal development side of things. And so for all that I just said about mentoring and people reaching out and whatever, um, if we're starting a relationship via DMs on Instagram, great. You have some specific questions. I will make time to try to help out and, and look into things. And if it grows into a bigger relationship than that, phenomenal. I'm, I'm at Disruptive Coach, um, which, uh, you know, another day I'll tell the story of how I got that moniker. And, uh, that's probably the easiest way. If somebody wants to reach out on a, on a regular channel, our gym is swamp rabbit CrossFit at swamp rabbit CrossFit, wherever it matters. And, uh, you know, we're, we're here. Ready awesome. To Thank you so much, Brandon.